Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Lord, help us this morning to really get an understanding of this verse as we search the Scriptures to try to understand it. And, uh, Lord, I believe that you're going to help us today. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great verse. Isn't this a wonderful idea? How many of you know people who are religious but they don't have liberty? You know some people that are like that. And well, I tell you what, there are people that are trying to bind Christians all the time. And there are people that are binding lost people by adding things to the gospel so that they can never understand the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ died for our sins because we're sinners. We can't pay for our own sin. It could never be paid for by us. That's why hell is forever. It could never be paid for. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. But the good news of the gospel is He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, proving that He was and is God and will be the intercessor forever. He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for His saints. Praise the Lord for that. That's the gospel. That's it. And if any man adds anything to that gospel, it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. We want to proclaim liberty, the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we're going to do is let's define some of the words in here. Let's define some of the words. The first word I want to look at is liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Here's Webster. Webster talks about civil liberty. Civil liberty is the liberty of men in a state of society or natural liberty, so far as only abridged and restrained as is necessary and expedient for the safety and interest of the society, state, or nation. A restraint of natural liberty not necessary or expedient for the public is tyranny or oppression. Civil liberty is an exemption from the arbitrary will of others, which exemption is secured by established laws, which restrain every man from injuring or controlling another. Hence, the restraints of law are essential to civil liberty. And this is why it's so important for us to have just laws. You know, that snail darter thing going on out in California where um, th there's this little fish and there are entire counties in California where farms have been shut down. People have lost their family lands, lost their livelihood because someone has told them they can't farm that land because it might kill some little fish. That's a violation of civil liberty, civil liberty isn't it? It's a violation of liberty. We need to understand what liberty is. Liberty comes from God. It's interesting that Webster in 1828 understood what natural law is. Natural law is the law that comes from God. Not that comes from the state. It comes from God. That's political. That's civil liberty. The state does not give us liberty. God gives us liberty. And the state ensures that liberty by only establishing laws that restrain people from violating the liberty of someone else. So, you can't kill somebody. Why? That deprives them of their liberty. That's a just law. You can't steal because that's violating someone else's liberty to their property. So, you, th those are good laws that must be in place. Liberty. Liberty. 
It's something that we ought to strive for as Americans and as Christians. Then religious liberty. Listen to what Webster says about religious liberty. Liberty is the free right of adopting and enjoying opinions on religious subjects and of worshiping the supreme being according to the dictates of conscience without external control. Amen? So the state can't come and tell you you've got to worship God in a certain way. They cannot do that. Why? Because we have religious liberty. Folks, that is the product of Baptists in America. That's where it came from. Don't ever let anyone deceive you on that. John Adams did not want to give you religious liberty. When Francis Wayland and Isaac Backus and James Manning, some Baptists, confronted John Adams at Carpenter's Hall in 1774 about the violation of religious liberty taking place in Massachusetts, where John Adams was from, John Adams said, there would just as soon be a reorganization in the celestial bodies as there being religious liberty given in Massachusetts. He wanted there to be a state church. Do you know what happened? Manning and Bacchus and Whalen worshipped the God who established the heavens. Amen? And now there's religious liberty in Massachusetts. But do you know that, you know, when, when was the Declaration of Independence? What year? What was it? When was the Constitution? Seventeen eighty-seven. Do you know when they got religious liberty in Massachusetts? I think it was like eighteen twenty-two. The state constitution of Massachusetts. See, religious liberty comes from the Word of God. That's the foundation of it. That's what Galatians five is about. We don't need to be under religious bondage. We can be under religious. Liberty. So if we're going to understand this, we need to understand what liberty is. It is the right to accept Christ or reject Christ. It's the right to believe God or reject God. It's the right to teach the Bible properly or to teach it improperly because every man is going to give an account before God individually. That's what liberty is about. Amen. Man, I don't like Glenn Beck's Mormonism. I don't like it. Mormonism, Mormonism is a cult. I don't care what anybody says. Mitt Romney's religion is a cult. They do not have the same Jesus that we do. In their, fa in their faith, Jesus and Satan are brothers. You're a god. And all you have to do is reattain that godhood. That's Mormonism. It's a false religion. But you know what? Glenn Beck has every right to stand up and talk about Mormonism. Mitt Romney has every right to wear his long underwear and be a Mormon. He has every right to do that. Amen? And I have the right to say it's a cult. Is that right? That's what liberty is about. That's what freedom is about. And I'll tell you what, Christians have been so cowed in this. Uh, uh, cowed. Uh, that's the root word of coward. It is. And we're afraid to stand up and speak the truth because of the, the, the emphasis that society placed on political correctness. Oh, aren't you glad that our founders were willing to stand up, go to prison for religious liberty, to speak the truth? Amen. Amen. Liberty. So that's the definition of liberty. Look back at our text. Stand fast. What is that, that fast? When it says stand fast. Well, that fast, it's, it's fastened down uh, on, the, on the deck of a ship. How many people were in the Navy? we have anybody that was in the Navy? 
when, when the storms were coming, what would they have you do? Batten down the hatches. Secure everything. Get it. Get everything put in place. Is that right? That's exactly right. Ship shape. F- stand fast. Stand fastened. And we're going to look at what we're to be fastened to here in a minute. And then there's another word, entangled. Do you see that? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. To be entangled, that means to twist or interweave in such a manner as not to be easily separated, to make confused or disordered as thread, yarn, or ropes may be entangled, or to entangle the hair. Entangled. Have you, how many of you have been walking through uh, some brush and you got hung up in the brush? Has that ever happened to you? It's hard to get out of that. It is tough. And if you've ever been running through the brush, that's a bummer. It's a bummer. And we're going to look at that in the Word of God. So here we have three concepts that we want to consider to understand this text. We need to understand liberty. We need to understand what it means to stand fast. Then we need to understand what it means to be entangled. So let's do that. The Bible says in the Word of God that we understand the Bible by comparing things spiritual with spiritual. And then Jesus Christ said that His words are spirit and they are life. So let's find out from the Word of God what we are to stand fast in. The Bible says stand fast in liberty. Stand fast in liberty. Well, we understand what that means by seeing how else the Bible tells us to stand fast. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye. Stand fast in what? The faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Isn't that... I remember when Brother Faggart... How many remember when Brother Jeff preached, uh, Quit you like men? What a great message. You ought to, if you don't have that, you ought to get it. See, Pastor Nathan, we'll put that in your hands. Quit you like men. It's interesting. How do you do that? In faith. In faith. I love this. Do you know what a manly thing is to do? Have faith in Christ. Living by faith is a manly thing to do. I can just picture Brother Dave. I remember Brother McCracken at our, our, our men's retreat. That's manly. <laughs> remember that? You guys remember that? He was talking about Samson. Samson was manly. What is is a manly thing to do? What is a courageous, bold thing to do? Stand fast in faith. But it's not faith in nothing. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in the Word of God. It's faith in something physical, in something solid, in something that is eternal. It's the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. So, what is, what is something that will take your liberty away from you? Not having faith. Believe what God says. If someone tells you that you can't go to heaven if you do this, they're trying to bind you. If someone tells you you can't go to heaven if you don't do this, and it's anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're trying to bind you. Have faith in the Word of God. Husbands, love your wives. Have faith in that. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Have faith in that. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Have faith in that. It'll work out if you do what God tells you to do. Have faith in it. Stand fast in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand fast. Stand fast in faith. Then look at what it says. Philippians chapter 1. Don't raise your hand on this, but I wonder how many of you, your faith's been a little shaken lately. It happens to all of us. All of us go through places where we have a low ebb of faith. And usually it's been when we've been distracted by the world, when we've been away from the Word of God, away from prayer. Our, our, our faith becomes weak. The challenge of the apostle, the challenge of the Word of God today is stand fast in faith. Stand fast in faith. Then look at Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So you've heard someone say that that dress becomes you. Brent hears that often. Um, you hear uh, someone say that that color looks good on you. That color looks good on you. Uh, have a life that looks good alongside the gospel. That's good, isn't it? Amen. Have a life that when you give someone the gospel, they say this, I thought you were a Christian. I knew there was something different about you, all right? Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast, how? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the what? For the faith of the gospel. Are you seeing a continuity here? Stand fast in faith, stand fast in one spirit as you stand fast for the faith of the gospel. So what does that mean? We as a church, we need to be living holy lives that match the gospel that we preach. And we need to be of one mind in this place. We all need to understand why we're here. Grace Baptist Church exists to lead people to Christ, build them up in the faith, to teach someone else the Word of God. That's why we exist. And that's why our discipleship ministry. I've told you I'm going to try and mention it every week. The, the job of the believer is to be taught the Word of God so that he can teach or she can teach the Word of God to someone else. Amen? So if you are not actively participating in teaching someone the Word of God, you are not fulfilling the thing for which Christ saved you. We need to have one mind. One mind. Look at keep keep Philippians, but go to First Corinthians chapter one. All of you who have been in discipleship know exactly where I'm going. First Corinthians chapter one. What does it mean to be of one mind? To have one spirit. First Corinthians one ten. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Amen. Amen. How are we going to all speak the same thing if we're all communicating the Bible to somebody? You see that? Look, not everybody likes the same music. Is that right? Not everybody likes the same music. They just don't like the same music. We are never in this church all going to agree 
on a particular style of music. That is not going to happen. Amen? I was in a church, and uh, the choir got done singing, and the preacher got up and said, that's what church sounds like. And it was this this big, beautiful uh, song, real traditional anthem. And my brother-in-law from West Virginia leaned over. Justin, he'll be here yet tomorrow. He leaned over and said, not in West Virginia it doesn't. Isn't that true? We're not all going to agree on what kind of music we like. How many of you love bluegrass music? How many of you, you really don't? Nick's about to jump up and down. Me, 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 me. The favorite sound a banjo makes for Nick is the sound it makes when it hits a dumpster. (laughs) See, we're never all going to agree on that. You know what the good news is? We don't have to. I was just in a conversation with a preacher. And uh, I'm trying to challenge uh, Bible preachers to be careful who they quote. Because if you're quoting somebody who taught false doctrine, that can lead young preachers away. Would you all agree with that? Is that fair? Be careful who you endorse. And so I was talking to this preacher about it, and he he doesn't like that. He said, who am I going to quote then? And the problem is he's just reading all the wrong people. And so I was trying to help him see that. And so he was he was basically um, upbraiding me, to use a biblical term. He was, he was trying to correct me, to stop me from doing that, from saying that to preachers. And this is the same guy that will teach and almost separate from a church that puts the words to a song on a screen. It's weird, isn't it? How many of you think that's kind of weird? It's just strange. You can use a hymnal if you want to. I kind of like the screen because you all have your heads up and you're singing. I like that. But I don't care if you use a hymnal or you don't use a hymnal because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Is that right? But the Bible says if someone brings another gospel, let him be accursed. Let's not quote him and act like he's a good preacher. And so I expressed that as lovingly as I could to this brother and he didn't seem to appreciate it. But here here is the idea. At Grace Baptist Church, the only way we're all going to speak the same thing is if we all believe the Bible and communicate that to someone else. Because in this room, there are all different opinions on all different kinds of things. And your opinion is just as valid as the second person's opinion. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what does Jesus Christ say? Remember what the Apostle Paul said in our text last week, what saith the Scripture? So we can all speak the same thing. That's how we're going to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's, how many of you have ever tried to push a car up a hill? you ever tried to do that? How many of you ever wanted help when you were doing that? And all of a sudden, the car starts moving and it's a lot easier. That's the idea of striving together. Striving. That's fighting. Fighting. We're going to fight together for the faith of the gospel. We're going to stand fast in one spirit. That's the idea. That's the idea. What for? For the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand fast in that. Stand fast in faith. Stand fast in one spirit. Be careful. Don't get mad at somebody else in the church because the way they talk to you, the way that they behave, uh, you know, whatever. They don't like the way that you do something and they tell you that. Don't get offended by that. We need to have one spirit. We need to love each other and forgive each other and work together for the faith of the gospel in one spirit. So stand fast in that. There's another thing we're supposed to stand fast in. Look at Philippians chapter 4. 
in verse 1. How are we going to stand fast in faith and stand fast in one spirit for the faith of the gospel? How are we going to do that? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast, where? In the Lord, my dearly beloved. We're only going to stand in, we're only going to stand in faith. We're only going to stand in one spirit if we're standing in the Lord. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Stand in that. Stand in that. Can I tell you something? You don't have to be faithful to church to be in Christ. You don't have to give to be in Christ. You don't have to tell other people about Jesus to be in Christ. You don't have to have a good life to be in Christ. Why? Because none of those things can get you in Christ. What can get you in Christ? Faith in His finished work on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Stand in that. Stand confident in it. Understand that your faithfulness, your work, your giving, your kindness, your charity, your love, all of those things, while they are the fruit of the Spirit, would you all agree with that? All of those things are the things that the Spirit does in your life. None of those things save you. They are all the result of being saved. Stand fast in the Lord. Don't think you're earning your salvation. Don't think you're earning grace. Don't think you're earning merit with Christ. Amen? Stand fast in the Lord. And when you stand fast in the Lord and you remind yourself of that wonderful, wonderful salvation and you grow in your love for Him, then you're going to stand in faith. Then you're going to stand in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Stand fast in the Lord. Let's see if the Bible says anything else about that. Go to 1 Thessalonians 3. Look at verse 8. First Thessalonians 3, verse 8. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. This is Paul, Timotheus, Silvanus. They're the ones who wrote, God used to write 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Here's what he said. Their whole life was wrapped up in whether or not those believers in Thessalonica were in Christ, were in the Lord. That's what the ministry is all about. Here's the deal. If you raise your family to be good citizens, to get good grades, to be good athletes, to be moral people, if you do all of those things but you don't bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you've not lived. You've not lived for Christ. Let's make sure that our children are established in the Lord. Let's make sure that that happens. It's the most important thing in the world. And then as a church... I hope that every person who attends Grace Baptist Church, whether you're a member here or not, I want you to understand that my greatest desire for you is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. That you're settled, that you stand fast in the Lord. And if you're in Christ, you can stand fast in all those other things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in your flesh. It's a decision of your will to submit to the Holy Spirit and have Him empower you to accomplish those things. 
Praise God. All right, so that's, that's what it means to stand fast. But there's another stand fast that could cause some confusion. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, how about this? Stand fast in the traditions. How many of you, as you're reading that, you're going, uh-oh. Why? Because that word tradition has been redefined. It's been redefined. What is it? Does this mean to stand fast in purgatory, nuns, indulgences, rosaries, candles, signs of the cross, limbo, transubstantiation, baby sprinkling, clerical collars, celibacy, cardinals, the Holy See, archbishops, votive masses, Shrove Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Easter Christmas, papal nuncios, novenas, licentiates, friars, tonsors, and pectoral crosses. Is that what standing fast in tradition is? No. So how in the world are we going to understand what it means to stand fast in the tradition? Well, look at the verse. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. So stand fast in the traditions that Paul had taught them, whether as he was preaching to them or whether in the letters that he wrote to them. Is that right? All right, so, okay, so we're, we're getting a little bit better understanding. But how do I tell somebody who brings me to this verse? They say the reason that we believe in purgatory, the reason we believe in baby sprinkling, the reason we believe in the Mass is because the, the, the Bible here tells us to stand fast in tradition, and all of those things are the traditions of the church. How do we answer that? Well, how do we understand Scripture? By Scripture. Let's see if Paul said anything else about it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So what do we do? Did I not give you the verse? Second Thessalonians chapter 3. What did I say? Listen to what I mean, not what I say. You know what I'm glad for? I love it. We have to have the Scriptures to understand what's going on. Amen? So praise God. I'm glad you all responded to that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verse 6. Now we command you, brethren. Are we all in the same place now? <laughs> Amen. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. All right? So here's what we're seeing. A person that walks disorderly. The way that we would understand that. How many of you remember Gomer Pyle? Do you remember him trying to march on the, the parade ground? And the whole group would go one way and he'd go the other? Right? Shazam! <laughs> that's, that's walking disorderly. In other words, he was not striving together for the faith of the gospel, 
standing fast in one spirit. We would say this, get with the program. This church, and this is where the home church movement comes from. The home church movement is based primarily on disorderly walkers, people who don't want to be under the authority of a New Testament church. They want to do their own thing. They want to, they want to decide the direction of the church for themselves, and so we're just not going to have church. We're going to, my family is my church. Really? Really? Show me that in the Bible. See? That's disorderly walkers. Not listening to what the Apostle Paul taught about the church, about submission in the church, about the mission of the church, about the message of the church. All those things are very clear in the Scriptures. And if you have a brother, a saved person in the church who doesn't want to get with the program, what are you supposed to do? Stop hanging out with that guy. Why? He's going to lead you away from the truth. All right? Let's look at how the tradition manifests itself. Look at verse 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. And now he's going to give you the examples of what disorderly behavior is. Look at what it says. Verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. All right? So this identifies missions. Why do we support missions? Why do we uh, fund mission endeavors? So a missionary can go to an area and say, Look, I don't want anything from you. I only want to minister to you. See, this is defining the way that we do ministry. Then look at what it says. Not because we have not power. So it's fine for a minister to be paid, and the Apostle Paul deals with that later. All right? in First and Second Timothy. So he says this, "...not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly." He's describing what disorderliness is in this context. "...working not at all, but are busybodies." All right? So there's two kinds of people. There's two kinds of people, uh, of disorderly people in the church. There are people who will not get with the church program. They're not going to work in the church, but they're sure going to talk about what's going on in the church. How many of you ever met somebody like that? They don't do anything, but they sure have a lot of opinions on how things ought to be done. What is that? Disorderliness. Busybody. But the other problem they had here where there were people who didn't work jobs. They were living off of their Christian brothers and still trying to act like they were really spiritual people. I've known a lot of people like that. A lot of people. Mooches. Right? Man, it gets really quiet. Look, if a man doesn't work, he's not supposed to eat. Now, if a person is physically incapable of working, we should help those people. We always have to say that. Do you think that's what this text is talking about? No. Talking about healthy people who are just lazy bums, mooches, sponges, scrounges, who call themselves spiritual. Don't even hang around with people like that. That's their tradition. That's, that's what's being spoken of. People who will not get with the program of the ministry and people that are mooches. 
Those are people who are not following the tradition that Paul had taught. That's the context. doesn't have anything to do with nuns, novenas, purgatory, sprinkling, you know, whatever. doesn't have anything to do with any of those things. It's about how we are to behave in the church. So here, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand fast in faith. We're supposed to stand fast in one spirit. We're supposed to stand fast in the Lord. And we're supposed to stand fast in the tradition. What tradition? What tradition? Hey, let's all be plugged in. Let's all be working Let's all be participating in the financial and in the spiritual ministry of the church. That's the tradition that Paul acted out and taught. That's what's being spoken of. Praise God! We're learning some things. We're getting a biblical understanding of what we're supposed to be doing. All right? Now, let's look at back to our text, Galatians chapter 3. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, only you can come up with mooch and sponge out of the Bible. <laughs> it's just true. Galatians chapter 5. You know what's so cool? I think that that needs to be preached in a lot of places. Um, you guys are doing pretty good. Some of the hardest working people I've ever seen. It's exciting. We always comment on that. You know, the Christmas decorations are down, you know, 1201 December 26th. You know? I was talking with uh, Gary Yates this past week, and uh, we were talking about, you know, how a person's lawn, how a person's the way they keep their house. That's a testimony, isn't it? Well, praise God. You guys are hard workers. You have a good testimony. You have a good testimony. Praise the Lord. Um, so, stand fast, therefore, Galatians 5.1, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So, the the, the opposite of liberty is that yoke of bondage. Let's talk about that yoke of bondage. We are either in liberty or bondage. There's no in-between. You see that? You're either walking in liberty or you're under the yoke of bondage. And here's the concept. We all conform to something. Either you're going to be in the liberty of Christ or you're going to be in the bondage of the world. You're going to be in the liberty of grace or the bondage of works. You're in the liberty of faith or you're in the bondage of religion. That's it. You say, well, what if a person's an atheist? Then they're bound up in the atheistic religion. You know that it takes faith to believe there is no God. How do you prove a negative? You can't. You can't. That's a, that's a completely religious position to be in. And the Bible says that that's bondage. And now I want to. we're going to go through some scriptures now as we look at this concept of entangling. And we're going to see how the Bible says that we can go from freedom back into bondage. How do we go from freedom back into bondage? Um, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye... What's it say? How turn ye what? Again, to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye what? What's that next word? To be in bondage. You, you turn again and you desire again to be in bondage. Um, I am not tempted by skydiving. You know, the old, the old adage, why would you jump out of a perfectly good plane? Um, I'm not tempted by it. You know why? I've never done it. It's not something that 
has an appeal to me. That's not a desire that I have because I was never doing that. You You see what I'm saying? What this is talking about, it's talking about appetites that you have developed before you got saved that you did while you were in bondage that your flesh wants to take you back to. That's what it's talking about. So let's look at this concept of entangling. The Bible uses that word entangling five times. We're going to look at a few of them and try to get an understanding of what that is. So look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled... What's that next word? With the yoke of bondage. So you see, this is something that we have had that's trying to draw us back. So let's go back to... Let's look at this... this first time that we find it in the Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. And when you get there, look up at me. Exodus chapter 14. All right, here's what's happened. Chapters 1 through 10, 1 through 11 of Exodus, the children of Israel are in bondage. They're slaves in Egypt. Is that right? They're in bondage. They're slaves. They don't have freedom. They can't do whatever they want. They're under bondage. In Exodus chapter 11, you have the institution, or Exodus chapter 12, the institution of the Passover. So by the shedding of blood, God delivers the nation of Israel out of bondage. Is that right? So now they've gone out into the wilderness. They are free. They're out from under the bondage of Pharaoh. But look at what happens. Exodus chapter 14, look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. So here we have, this is entangled. Remember what entangled means? To twist or interweave in such a manner as not to easily be separated. All right? They're bound up in it. This is what we're not to be. We're not to be entangled. Is that right? So here's what happens. Pharaoh says, hey, wait a minute. Children of Israel are gone. They're my property. They're my slaves. I want them back. Is that right? That's what's going on. Do you think that the devil, that the system that Satan has established, that he's going to let you go and never try to get you back? No. No. So what happens? He chases after them. He tries to cross the to get them as he crosses the red that they cross the Red Sea. They go into the Red Sea and they're drowned. Is that right? But listen to what he said. They're going to be entangled in the wilderness. They're not going to know where they're going. If they were entangled in the wilderness, Pharaoh would have gotten them back. You see that? So here's the idea. 
They have left Egypt. They've gone into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But if they were entangled in the wilderness, the captor was going to be able to draw them back. So here's the idea. What is the promised land in the Bible? It's the victorious Christian life. It's maturity in the faith. It's understanding how to live in the power of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, though. Every believer, when they get saved, they are somewhere between bondage and liberty. They're saved. They're going to go to heaven. Amen? Why? Because they're in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers who are trying to go back under the law. Is that right? He's saying, don't be entangled again. Don't be entangled in the wilderness. So what would the wilderness be for us? It's the world. If you're a believer and you are so wrapped up in the world, that's a great opportunity for the enemy to bring you back into captivity. So what is the world? What is the world? Everything that surrounds us. It's good things that we're wrapped up in that can draw us back. What is your hobby? Do you have a hobby? Does that hobby help you serve the Lord or keep you from serving the Lord? Do you have an athletic activity? Does that athletic activity help you serve the Lord or keep you from serving the Lord? What is it? I like to play golf and I have found that I'm playing worse and worse. But I love to play. I would love to go and get into tournaments and into leagues and into all these other things, but I can't. Why? I'm doing something else on Sunday. Is that right? I'm doing something else as I serve the Lord. Now, is there anything wrong with being in a golf league? No. No. But I can tell you this. When I was in a golf league, if there was a church activity, I just was not at the league. Well, you have to. That's your job. No. No, my job is to preach the Word of God to you on Sundays. My job is to communicate the Word of God. I can do whatever else I want. Why? We love ministry here. We love you. We want to serve you. So being entangled in the world. What about this? Don't raise your hand. How many of you were into drinking before you got saved? Well, I'll tell you what. You get around your family reunion. Have you ever noticed family reunions are always on Sunday? What's happening? That's your family trying to keep you out of church. It's real quiet when you actually get to where people are really living. It's true, isn't it? When my family wants to get together on Sunday, we just can't be there. And it's happened over and over and over again, and my family's all saved. It's just we have to make choices. We have to decide what we're going to do. Amen? We have to make decisions on what we're going to do. You go to one of these activities. You go to a family reunion. You get together with the people that you play ball with. And the booze is flowing around. And, and you remember what it felt like. You remember what that buzz felt like. And, and, and Satan is trying to draw you back into it. Trying to draw you back. Trying to draw you back. The party lifestyle, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes there are good things. And you get around that again and Satan's trying to draw you back. Trying to draw you back. Why? Because you have not replaced that activity with something good that God has called you to do, that you have devoted yourself to, that you're standing fast in, you get entangled again in the wilderness and the enemy is able to bring you back. Entangled. Let's look at the next one. Look with me at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Entangled. 
entangled again. Okay, Matthew chapter 22. Here's what's going on. Jesus Christ has just been telling the Pharisees about eternal judgment, eternal punishment, eternal torment in hell. And they don't like it. They don't like it. So look at verse uh, 15. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Can you imagine trying to trip Jesus up? That is so funny. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians. Do you see that? So the Pharisees sent their disciples with the Herodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. The Herodians were people who were following Herod. Jews that were following Herod. The Pharisees hated Herod. It's amazing the people that unite themselves to fight Jesus Christ. All right? And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Isn't that religious? See that? These, these religious uh, idolaters speaking religious language. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God. And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. I love the way Jesus said, you guys are hypocrites. He didn't, listen to how he didn't do it. Well, brother, that's a good question. You're godly. Thank you for your service. Is that what Jesus did? No. He called them what they are, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Is that right? What were they trying to do, though? They didn't like what Jesus Christ said about eternal punishment, so they tried to mess him up in politics. Is that interesting? Here's what they wanted to do. What were they testing Jesus on? His consistency. Are we consistent in our politics? Are we our positions as we speak in public on cultural and political issues? Are we consistent with our belief as Christians, as followers of Christ? How awesome is that? We're supposed to be true. So, um, there's a Southern Baptist preacher. His last name is Jeffries. I think he pastors First Baptist in Dallas. And during the primaries, he had come out and said that Mormonism, Mitt Romney's Mormonism, is cultish. It's wrong. So, when Romney won the nomination, he was asked if he was going to vote for Romney. Well, he said, yes, because I like his positions better than those of Barack Obama. And they said, so now are you saying that Mormonism is okay? And he stood up publicly and said, no, Mormonism is a cult. And he was attacked vehemently by the religious crowd within the Southern Baptist Convention and without the Southern Baptist Convention because of his religious bigotry. Isn't that interesting? Praise God for Pastor Jeffries. Praise God that he was willing to take that stand publicly and take heat on national news for it. Praise God for that. But what about you? 
Are you willing to stand up and speak publicly? Are your political opinions based on party? I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. No, I'm a Christian. And where the Republicans violate Christ, we're going to say it. Where the Democrats violate Christ, we're going to say it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Don't be entangled. Be consistent. Allow your Christianity to permeate your conversation wherever you are, at home, at work, at the ball field, at wherever it is. Be a consistent Christian. Why? Why? Because if you get entangled, you're going to go back into bondage. It's amazing how many people on the religious right... They get so busy in politics, they don't have time for church. Let me tell you something. Politics is not going to save America. Only Christ can save America. Amen? Amen? Now, look at the next one. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Consistent Christians... And I praise the Lord for those of you who are leaders in our culture. School teachers, um, administrators, uh, 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 leaders in companies, uh, foremen on your jobs, uh, police officers, uh, we have fire lieutenants. Those of you who have something to lose for speaking the truth, and you still do it, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Now, we've got we to use wisdom with the way we do it. Amen? I don't expect you to walk into the firehouse and talk the way that I am here in the pulpit of Grace Baptist Church. It's a different venue. But the message ought to be the same. The message ought to be the same. Those of you who go into the schoolhouse, when you're asked by a student... Give them both barrels. As soon as they ask you a question, legally that door is thrown wide open. Take the opportunity. Amen. When your curriculum deals with things having to do with history, tell them the whole history. Praise God. Thank you for those of you who are doing that. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you. Don't be entangled in those things. All right. Let's look at... Uh, where are we going here, folks? Somebody help me. Second Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Is that an amazing statement? For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Wow. There's two ways to look at this passage. If a person is genuinely born again, and they're saved from the wickedness of this world, and they go back to it, which, of course, that's what your flesh wants to do. Is that right? If they do that, man, it, your life is going to be harder than if you'd never been saved. 
because you have the chastening rod of a loving Savior that's going to come into your life. How many of you have seen that happen to somebody? My goodness, that's rough. And then, if it's a person who comes under the, the teaching of the Word of God, the revealed Word of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the way of righteousness, the teaching of salvation by grace, and they turn away from it, hell is going to be so much hotter for those people. It's going to be so much worse. So what's the challenge? Stand fast. Stand fast. But we don't want the end to be worse than the beginning, do we? So what are we going to do? Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Is there anybody here that's free today? Amen. Anybody here that's free? Man, don't, don't leave that. Don't leave that. How many of you are really glad you got saved? Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I wonder how many of you are kind of in that wilderness spot between salvation and the victorious Christian life. You're tangled up. James Knox, I listened to him on this text, and he went to uh, the story of um, Abraham when he was going to slay Isaac, sacrifice Isaac, and that ram was tangled up in the hedge. So here you have a ram that would be much stronger than Abraham. It, he, he, Abraham couldn't have held him, but he, because he was tangled up, he was not able to do what he was able to do. So we as Christians, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to communicate the Word of God, to walk in the Spirit, to, to live a victorious Christian life. We are able to do that, but when we get entangled in the world and in our old life, even though God has given us the power and the ability to do His will, we can't do it because we're entangled by the things of the world. Amen? Amen? Let's not do that. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Every person who plays a sport or is in racing of any kind, if you're going to race cars, you're going to get rid of the extra weight so you can go faster. Is that right? If you're going to run, you're not going to put 10 pounds on your back. You're going to do it while you're training, but you're not going to do it when you're running. You're going to lay those things aside. Well, if we as Christians are going to serve God, if we're going to run to victory, if we're going to do that, We've got to lay some things aside. We've got to realize we're tangled up. We're entangled. But what does He want for us? He wants us to be free. Free to do what? Free to live the victorious Christian life. Free to serve Him. Free to be effective. Free to understand the joy of usefulness. Free to do all those things. Do you have to serve God in the church? No. Dave McCracken would say this to us all the time when I worked there. He'd say... I don't have to, I get to. Amen. Amen. Amen? We get to serve the Lord. We get to take Christ out into the marketplace. We get to have Christ in our homes. We get to live for Him. What is that? That's liberty. Amen. That's freedom. That's awesome. Liberty. Think about freedom and liberty. We mentioned it as we came into this room that there are people trying to worship in other places and they're worried they're going to die. We don't have that, do we? So what are we free to do? We're free to worship. What has Christ done for you? He's removed your sin. 
He's removed your guilt. He's removed your judgment. He's removed that bondage. He's made you free. Don't put all that stuff back on and try to serve the Lord under that weight. Live free. Amen? Amen. Live free. Look at our verse. We'll finish with it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the biblical definition.